Med Family is a show about a family journeying through medical school with kids and navigating married life. Tag along to see how we got here and where this journey is taking us. Hi, welcome to Med Family. This is Eric hosting with Karen. We are trying to do this take two now. Uh, kids. <laughs> I jinxed us. I jinxed us. I said something about we're daring the kids to wake up or to get up and out of bed because they're not asleep yet. And then the screaming ensued, so I had to get up and move. <laughs> yeah, immediately Judah woke up and let us know about it. And he's a pretty determined individual. He won't stop until he gets his bottle of milk. Cup. He's two. He gets a cup now. Cup. Yeah, he's not in a bottle. So this week is 4th of July. Actually, we are recording on 4th of July. So it's a kind of an exciting holiday for a few reasons here. So I was hoping to maybe kind of start off broadly talking about 4th of July and then... Maybe specifically as far as medical students go. And that's that's kind of more of a general... Because I, I don't have a very good personal experience with 4th of July in, in medicine, but... It's not a good... It's not a good day for first responders <laughs> or I'm assuming hospitals. My dad was one of those first responders and ha- Halloween... Fourth of July. Fourth of July, somebody always blows uh, some part of their hand off or something. And <laughs> Christmas... Those were the worst holidays. Yeah, so what, what were some of your better memories of 4th of July? Like, what was your favorite thing to do? Well, growing up, we lived in a cul-de-sac, and all of our neighbors would pool resources and have, uh, basically, everybody would contri- everybody would have their grill on, and you'd go to whatever house you wanted and take food, and it was a great long night, sometimes multiple nights of fireworks. Obviously, like, the second night was all the piddly ones that don't actually go in the air and boom. But we were lucky enough to have that as as kids and it was it was great fun. Now in Washington, I don't I think I think for the last several years they've had fireworks bans. So that's not really the case where it's, we grew up. Yeah, anymore. partly partly because of the not wanting to have things that go up in the air and go like boom. <laughs> and then the other part because there's been a lot of dry weather in Washington and it has a tendency to go up in flames. Well, and the forest caught fire. That wasn't 4th of July, but that some people it were messing around. It was fireworks, though, yeah. Messing around in Eagle Creek and burned down hundreds of acres of forest. Rather unfortunate, for sure. My family, we had we would live on a cul-de-sac as well, and the neighborhood did similar thing. It was like volleyball. There were other things going on, and you can set up your chairs out in front of your house, watch the fireworks show. And then if you stayed out a little too late, the people at the end of the street had the bottle rocket wars, so you had to be careful of that. That's probably another one of those ends up in the emergency room with third degree burns because <laughs> got hit by a bottle rocket or something. We do pop it wars, but that I mean that those don't hurt you. You can pop those in your hands. Yeah, that's true. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> probably one of my not worst experiences with Fourth of July was I think you might have been there when we were living in kind of North Vancouver. Yeah. And I had my cousin with me, and we were launching fireworks and a, a few people came over and they the definition of firework was very loose it was more like a bomb or an improvised explosive packing pennies and stuff in with the the gunpowder because you want shrapnel when you blow something up right <laughs> yeah and they were my cousin was like lighting things off next to my car and it's like can, can we just not 
Can we not? I wasn't there. Try to that light one. my car on fire. So, Fourth of July, uh, I think broadly speaking, as a country, it's just that it's obviously the day that we signed the Declaration of Independence. I believe it was the Declaration of Independence. I'm going to have to now fact check myself, make sure I'd been incorrect here. And I, I've always kind of liked it just because it's, it's, we celebrate it with explosions, which is very kind of, I feel like it's kind of a unique American thing to do. And I mean, inevitably, social media and whatnot, it's going to turn this holiday into, is it is sufficiently politically correct enough or is the country sufficiently, I don't know, has, has the country fin- sufficiently solved all of its issues? And I think, by and large, the country has struggled to some degree of, you know, I mean, obviously, like, in 1776, there were still slaves, and they signed the Declaration of Independence, and it wasn't, you know, independence for everybody. And that's obviously not a, a shining moment in our country, but I, I think always think of the country as we make kind of a promise in the, in the founding documents, and we're slowly trying to figure out a way to live up to those promises. And we're not always perfect, but... I think, by and large, you can see that the country tries. Well, and I think, I don't know about you, but I think for me especially, I have a greater appreciation for where we grew up, where we live, after living somewhere else for an extended period of time. Because you do realize what advantages you have. You realize, like, even poverty in the United States is nothing compared to poverty in other places of the world. Are you referring to St. Vincent? I am referring to St. Vincent, but speaking... there, there are several students that were well, well traveled or more sure. traveled than I am, and they made that same statement that it is interesting to see when you go other places and what poverty looks like there versus what poverty looks like in the United States. That's yeah, I think that's pretty true. And even those in poverty do have resources that they can use or can eventually get. It may not be within the time frame that they want or they need, but the resources are available. I remember there was one story on St. Vincent. As you happened when we were there, it was a, a guy who had gotten shipwrecked. I think it was like 20, 30 years prior, and he ended up on the island. And just kind of, he didn't speak the language very well. He just moved around. And, uh, I mean, 20, 30 years later, he, I mean, he lived as a, basically a homeless person floating around. And eventually they figured out, oh, he's from this country. I think he was, back, he was out back from Africa. And so they finally, 20, 30 years later, sent, you know, were able to get him on an airplane and send him back to Africa. <laughs> it's like... That's kind of crazy. Like I don't, I don't know if that happens particularly very much in the United States. And I'm not sure what his particular situation is. I mean, in 20, 30 years, you have a lot of time to, to do a lot of things. But right. But and I, I'll have to dig up the pictures. But we took a drive one day on the island, and just taking pictures around the island, we drove towards St. George. Uh, not St. George, but just Georgetown. Georgetown, and you have these beautiful houses. And then next to it, you have a shack. And there are people living in both. And you can just tell the great disparity in wealth or resources. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an island that's easily 80, 90 degrees every day. And, you know, obviously some people had AC, other people did not. And actually some people, you you had access to trash and some people didn't. And so they would burn their trash. That was actually some interesting information that our teachers had told us when we were interviewing patients as part of our patient interview history taking course was. They said, oh, by the way, you might want to ask about those sort of things because obviously if they're coming in for a uh, pulmonary issue and they're burning trash, that could be exasperating some pulmonary issues. That you, as an American, you don't 
generally think of people just burning trash and burning waste and using alternative fuel sources generally. I mean, there are, of course, certain areas in the United States that probably do have those issues, but it's not, by and large, a normal issue. But sliding maybe towards the medical, it's obviously the maybe not the best day to be on call if you were a surgeon or a trauma person because inevitably it's an American holiday with we like to light things on fire and, and they explode. And then well, we also have it's drink. a holiday where people have the day off and they drink. And generally explosives and drinking don't go hand in hand. And unfortunately, sometimes they do go hand in hand and then we don't have a right hand. Uh, so... It's not a great day um, to be a medical person on call. It's like any holiday, though. Like You don't want to be in the hospital. You want to be home with your family celebrating it in some way. Again, I haven't been in the hospital yet, so maybe next year I'll have a little bit more experiences to draw on. And I don't know, hopefully as, a, as people... I think it's just it's a human condition. People just don't think and they do stupid things when they drink and have explosives. And that's just kind of going to be the way it is. But as a family going forward, so like I grew up with my dad being a first responder. So we, did, we didn't always have holidays on the holidays. And 4th of July was one holiday that we always had on the 4th of July, whether or not my dad was there or not, because the whole neighborhood came together. But we had Christmas on New Year's. We had... <laughs> him leave Thanksgiving when he was on call. Like, there were a lot of times where my dad was not necessarily there during a holiday. We spent Christmas one year in the hospital. Like we brought all of our gifts to the hospital. <laughs> that was, and was, your mom, was that your was mom my mom was, had to have okay. an emergency C-section. So that we, we it was we kind of a celebration, to, but kind of, kind, a, of yeah. <laughs> kind of, I don't know. Um, but you have to look for ways, like my dad looked for ways to make it special even if we weren't able to have a holiday on the holiday. I know when he knew that he had to work Christmas, we would do like a week of Christmas where we get to open one thing each day when he was there before he left for work. And then once we were actually able to come together as a family, then, then we would open all the big gifts. We'd just have a little gift each day or something, or we could take something out of our stocking. So we try, or they tried to make the holidays special for us when any way that they could. And so I think that's going to probably be our goal moving forward as Eric. Because, I mean, when you're a new doctor, I'm assuming he's going to be working most of the holidays for at least the next several years. <laughs> Unless I end up being a dermatologist and then nah. 8 to 5, Monday through Friday. <laughs> Not going to happen. Uh, <laughs> Not a dermatologist. <laughs> I think... I think all of this is to say that anytime you watch the news lately, there's a lot of negative things. And granted, there's a lot of a lot that we can do as a country to grow. However, I think we wanted to just take away on this 4th of July that we are blessed to live where we are and that we are glad that our nation is perpetually growing and trying to be better. And, and it's just a, I mean, our poor are better off here than the poor in any other nation. And, I mean, it's just something to be, I think, blessed. I mean, it's one of those, and you talk about privilege, it's a privilege to be born in the United States of America. It's, it's, again, it's for all the faults that we have as a country, and there are plenty, for sure, that we need to work on. But you're born in America. You you won the lottery. You, <laughs> uh, I mean, a, a, a person born even in St. Vincent and the Grenadines would have to be born in one of the wealthier families in order to go to the, even the school I went to on St. Vincent and the Grenadines. It's not easy for them to make it. And so to some degree, like it's a very huge blessing, huge blessing to be born in the United States of America where we have, I have the opportunity, I had the opportunity to go to a Caribbean school, even 
because I, even though I didn't make it into a U.S. school. What I try to do on these 4th of July's is try to find something to harken back to an earlier, an, an, an earlier time in history and try to appreciate a part of American history that maybe I didn't hear before. So like this week I've been listening to a podcast like America's Forgotten Heroes and I've really enjoyed listening to stories of like John Paul Jones. I think he's considered the father of the American Navy. Listening to Brooke T. Washington. I believe that's Washington T. Brooke. I, I can't, I'm, I'm sorry. It's one of those combinations, but he was a professor, um, teacher in Alabama. All, he traveled all over the place, but he's a, he's a great writer, and it's kind of interesting hearing his story. But just on the 4th of July, it's kind of lo- looking back at all the great people in history that America has brought out and some of the great things America has done. Kind of nice to sit back and celebrate that. And uh, earlier we mentioned, uh, I think you had mentioned, well, I mentioned dermatology, and obviously that's going to be our my mini segue into talking just a little bit briefly about step scores. I had a mini freak out this week with one of my fellow students mentioning that he he had gotten his step score. <laughs> and, and he took his test the day after I took mine. So I, I thought, did I miss an email? Did, did they think I cheated and so therefore they voided my score and I'm just not going to get a score? And then, of course, that prompted like three to four times a day checking the website, trying to find a score. So on that front, no, I don't. I, I ended up, again, searching the, the interwebs of Reddit and finding that there's still the old form of step one that's being distributed and tested particular prometric centers and so he probably got one of the older tests that they could just grade and give him a score and so mine is still likely sometime January 7th or after so I can probably stop freaking out a little bit and try to get back to my relaxing. His relaxing. The bed is almost done. We put the polyurethane on it and so hopefully it will be dry by morning and we can actually have a bed that's not on the floor anymore yeah after a couple weeks of working on it and probably there were better ways to do the process i was doing but you when you get halfway through a project and you kind of you've switched gears twice already and you're like i'm just gonna finish doing this way i probably could have gotten done a little bit quicker but in either case in the last few weeks i've been playing a good amount of soccer and i'm 32 years old my bones do not and muscles do not appreciate the the effort and being on the floor where you have to try to pull yourself up off the ground basically it's not exactly a great combination so i'm looking forward to having the bed frame back up <laughs> but also this week uh, our kids have been a little a little under the weather yeah all three boys were sick and my goodness you'd think that they were dying they got a cold they got a cold one of them had a slight fever. Was it, was it maybe a man flu? It was a man flu. Yes, my goodness. I didn't feel like I could move anywhere because they were all, like, they had to be held. They had to be cuddled. Except for our six-year-old. Our six-year-old was pretty, pretty good. But besides the sleeping, he wouldn't sleep. Oh, yeah. He ended up spending the night in our room. Yeah, he spent the night in our room on the floor next to mom. And when he would wake up, he grabbed my hand, which was really sweet, but... But I was, it would wake you up every single time. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, we are finally on the tail end 
very little coughing today, just a few runny noses. So hopefully by Tuesday, we are, will be able to go to our play date that we had planned. I had to cancel. Yeah, um, we were posted, we were thinking about having a barbecue today, having some people over the other day before, and ended up trying to be responsible <laughs> and canceling. <laughs> uh, so, but civil lining, we get to record this now as opposed to probably on Tuesday, and so we'll get this out of the way. So naturally, with the kids being a little sick, Trying to be careful and cautious as far as the pandemic is concerned. They don't. I don't think they have COVID. It's obviously not a COVID situation. It's like a twenty-four hour thing. They're basically all better now. Yeah. Um, but even still, just so we don't spread germs, all the kids stayed home from church today, and Karen stayed with them. So I got to go to church by myself. A quiet service. Can you believe that? That never <laughs> happens. <laughs> Almost never. You can actually hear, pay attention a little bit. Yeah, it's pretty. It was pretty nice. Did you actually take the missile from the car with you? Inside? I did actually. I, I actually and I returned it. Returned it. I think you're supposed to give it back. No, it's one per family. I think it's take one per family during the service, oh. and then everyone else put in the, was putting those back. So, oh. oops. So anyway, <laughs> I stole from the church. Oliver stole from the church. We gave Same it back. difference. Well, that was my fault. <laughs> I, I had no. I put it in her backpack. Uh, so anyway. It kind of got me thinking because today they had a reading. It's, and I'm not trying to get this into a religious thing. This is obviously a medical podcast. But so I'm, I am going somewhere with this. So the reading was about Jesus in Nazareth and how he wasn't able to perform many signs because of people basically not having a lot of faith. And uh, he, you know, he grew up in Nazareth. And I think the saying was, a prophet is not, uh, is not without honor except for in his hometown. And that kind of got me thinking a little bit about what we talked about a couple weeks ago regarding when someone comes to you for medical advice and help. And so I am going to go backwards a little bit on what, I, what we said a little bit. So I think the advice a couple weeks ago was if someone asks you for medical advice or a second opinion, just listen and say if it sounds reasonable, that sounds reasonable. Or if it doesn't sound quite accurate, say, well, maybe you get a second opinion and then kind of let them go off. I had recalled a book I had read, and again, I'm kind of all over the place, and I'm going to try to tie these all together. The book I read was by Louis Profeta, and I'm, I apologize if I butcher that name. He's a doctor, um, I think, I believe he's an ER doctor, just by how I read his stories in his book. But the book is called The Patient in Room 9 Says He's God. If you haven't read it, it's actually, I think, pretty interesting. It is. I read it as well, and I'm not necessarily a medical person. Yeah, I mean, you correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I kind of, I pictured it when I read through it. It's not like a, a book that has all these chapters that flow from one to the next. Essentially, it was lots of little stories about his experiences and, and what history he from and them. what he learned from them. And so it was something you could kind of pick up, read, and put it down. So I, th- I thought it was a pretty good book. But he, in, in one of his chapters, he kind of tackles the issue of everyone coming to him and asking for favors or questions. Or I think in the book he calls it Friends of Profeta, where people would come into his ER and say, I'm a friend of Profeta, Dr. Profeta, so I expect to have X, Y, and Z done. And how that would drive him nuts. But sometimes he would help people, of course, and... When he would get off of work, people would call him and say, hey, my doctor hasn't called me back. Can you refill my prescription for hypertension medication? And he he talked about how he was struggling with it because early in his medical career, he thought it as a favor system where he would give favors 
and it was a, a way to meet people and kind of gain, I guess, position or gain notoriety in a sense because he, he didn't feel like he himself was a very social person, I guess. And so he dealt, uh, he had dealt with it at later on in his career as kind of a, well, I'm, I'm just doing this because it's the right thing to do. And while it's definitely easier to do that when you really have a spiritual or a personal connection to the issue, but in essence, he's still doing it because it's the right thing to do. And the example they used in the book was, and again, I promise I'm going to tie this all together. <laughs> and the example I used in the book was the, a child in Africa, when you dial in and you donate your coffee money for the month to help support and educate the child in Africa, that the child in Africa doesn't care if you have a personal or spiritual connection to that donation. He just cares that the money is there so that he can have food and have an education. And essentially, as doctors, we have, and we talked a little earlier about privilege of being able to do medicine and privilege of being able to be educated in medicine. And certainly we are paying for that. And we are going to pay lots of money in student loans for that. And we are studying long hours and, and putting in a lot of work. But there's a privilege, and there's a lot of community support behind us as medical students. I mean, in the community and clerkships, I mean, the community essentially has to consent to see you to some degree. And you're just a baby doctor. I mean, I'm a third-year medical student, and I don't know. I know a lot, but I also know Jack. And so this is kind of where you know, I'm going to tie it in, is that especially this week, we've had a few people. We've, we've talked to acquaintances, friends, and it's... It's pretty apparent this issue has been going around for a long time where our group of friends that we knew or acquaintances and people that we interacted with back in Washington before we got married and then post-marriage, well, not post-marriage, but post-wedding uh, day, they've known us as the guy who works at Red Robin and the girl who works at Baskin Robbins. And now they have a harder time seeing us as the medical student, and the homemaker. And so like when they have an issue, instead of asking, maybe asking us, they'll just do a Google search and ask somebody who's an enthusiast. Like we have other people we know who are, are science enthusiasts, and I'm sure the audience member knows the type, or maybe you are the type, maybe you're the type that really likes science, and so you do all the Google searches and come to a conclusion. And these people will ask them, as opposed to the person who has spent hours studying the matter and might have a maybe more informed opinion. And again, I'm, I'm, I, as I said a few minutes ago, I know a lot and I know Jack. And that's one of the fun things about medical education is that you learn a lot of information and then you also learn along the way that you don't know as much as you think you know. And I'm just going to put a caveat in there. I think the frustration that Eric may be feeling is not necessarily that he wasn't asked. It was that the advice given caused more fear and worry than probably is necessitated from what is going on. And their doctor is not worried, the one that they see on a regular basis. And so if their doctor is not worried, the advice that they've been given from their doctor versus their friend is kind of, we will check on this if there if further issues arise, but we do not think that this is this is and the this case. This is a very rare instance or rare occasion, so you shouldn't be particularly worried about it. I, I, I want to be a resource 
to my friends and family. I want them to uh, see me. And I guess that's a personal pride thing or I, I get a little bit personally wounded when people... Yes, like, but I think... You know I go to medical school. You know <laughs> <laughs> I spend hours studying this stuff. And you rely on a Google search to do all your... But I think... But when you talk about it, when you talk about it with me, you're really venting and lamenting the fact that they're going to spend a month before they can get get this test to prove them incorrect or... Correct. Or correct whatever. or whatever. Worrying, not leaving the house because they don't want to get sick to exasperate a problem. And, like, they are completely living in fear until they can get whatever test that they want. Well, and then they, we know about it, kind of third-hand or... Because I think you talked to this person recently. And... But this also, I think, doesn't just span from this one situation. Like, this no. is also, like... This, the, the whole pandemic's going on. And again, I mentioned a few weeks or, you know, before, if you're a medical student or a physician or someone in the medical field, you probably haven't made it through the pandemic without someone asking your opinion about something. And in some ways, this group of acquaintances and people we know absolutely have not asked questions. And they generally rely on Google searches or... And I think that's true for a lot of people, especially with the vaccines and whatnot. They're, they'll do their Google search. They're kind of come to a conclusion and I don't want to I don't want to talk too much about vaccine hesitancy or whatnot it's just generally there's a lot of reasons for it there's not usually a one-size-fits-all you can't really cage everyone into they're just idiotic or ignorance it's a complicated issue we don't have time to dive into that today nope (laughs) well I'm not even all fully vaccinated I get my second shot on Tuesday yeah that should be fun Oh, yeah. But in either case, it, it, sorry, tying that all together, I just, I, I, I guess I want to be a resource to help people feel better, more at ease, like you were saying. I, I don't want people to spend months being stressed out. And I mean, we have this knowledge as medical students. We have this knowledge as professionals. And I think sometimes we, we do ourselves a disservice, but we're being honest. We're, we like to hedge. I think a lot of medical students will hedge their statements. Like, well, it might be this. Or your chances of having that are low, but not impossible, but it's pretty unlikely. We don't always talk in definites, and I think that's something that a lot of science has kind of grilled into us. A lot of medical, you know, as medical students, certainly that has been grilled into us. We, we have been wrong, and <laughs> we certainly have been wrong. And you will be again. And we will be again. And so we don't want to, we don't want to, Say something very concrete. We, we've done. Everyone's done the vignettes on U World or uh, USMLE RX, where the answer is not a definite. You're going to get better. I'll do everything possible in my power to make sure you get better. Like you don't make those promises. You don't make those statements. Like that's been drilled into us as medical students. I say that as it's a disservice because to me that sounds like that's perfect advice you should be giving people, but people would rather do a Google search and a Google search says you have cancer and then go, okay, well, I have cancer. You know, Dr. Google has told me so. Oh, I have these definite, definite answers. And you're just telling, you're just hemming and hawing and you're saying it could be this, could be that. So that's, I guess that's kind of been a, a little bit of a frustration this week. And there's also other things like, <laughs> like you, every now and then you get kind of the homeopathic stuff with, Kind of makes you laugh a little bit because if you've done any physiology or you've done any anatomy, you're just like, that's that's not how that works. Like, the cancer feeds on acidic blood. And it's like, so the answer to that obviously is getting very basic water and drinking tons of basic water. And so like, well, that's not, not how anything works. That's, that's, 
that's not how cancer works. That's not how your body works. Like, you can't drop your pH to, or raise your pH, I guess, to, you know, 7.8 and not die because you would die. If your body has a certain homeostasis and you it will keep itself that way. I mean, we, we had a did you have the same professor at Clark College where no. the answer to everything was like homeostasis essentially? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> homeostasis. Your body likes to stay at physiological pH and it will do everything in its power to stay there, including changing your breathing rate and how, what you pee out. And, and it's like no, just drink alkaline water, turn your your blood to seven point eight pH, and your and the cancer will die. It's like no, no, <laughs> that's just not how it works. <laughs> and then again, going back to like the anti-vaccine, it's all meant, it's all well intentioned, it's all well. I'm I'm sure there's a kernel of something in there that that they're looking at or they're grasping hold of, and people want to have a little bit more control over their bodies and their life. So. I don't mean to ridicule as if someone's uh, an idiot for believing that stuff. It's just one of those things where physiologically, you know, you could ask somebody who knows a little bit more about the physiology, the anatomy, and et cetera. Well, there's just so many resources today. So I don't, I don't, I guess I just don't quite understand why you would go to Google when you can send a message via email securely to like a nurse hotline or your, primary your doctor. Care doctor most most providers offices now have and like you, you said, can get a response <laughs> within the same day like you don't need to you have the expertise on hand and it's not always well that that's belittling my point i i have had good experiences with that and bad experiences yeah, yeah, with that but everything has pluses and but minuses. everything has pluses and minuses but I just, I don't understand. <laughs> but that's okay. We don't have to. You, people make their own decisions, and they're allowed to. And I think that's kind of where I'm, I'm going back to. Two weeks ago, we talked about how, you know, as a physician, maybe just wave your family and friends and say, follow what your doctor says. And we're not necessarily deviating too much off of that, but I think we're also saying, make yourself be a resource to your friends and family. Hopefully, you can alleviate some of their fears. They might come to you and ask you questions, otherwise they're relying on their knowledge of what they can read on Google, what they can cursorily glaze through an article, where they may not be able to evaluate the validity of the article or the the credibility of the speaker or the author, you might be able to at least clarify certain points and help point them in the right direction and hopefully alleviate some stress and, and anxiety. And so it's kind of a both hand. You, you do want to respect your free time because you're going to get, you could get burned out if you clock out of working immediately or handling the personal calls. And if every, you know, all your friends and your friends' acquaintances have your number, then you're basically a doctor 24 seven. And, and to some degree you are a doctor 24 seven. It is a vocation. But you also need to have family time. You also need to be able to you need to be able to partition your time well. And it's something that actually, because I, I was a term rep in term three for my class, that's something I had to learn kind of the hard way. And especially when other term reps came on fourth term and fifth term, that was something I told them is set some hard boundaries. Like if somebody wants you to answer a question at nine o'clock at night. Just wait until the morning, you know, study. You know, you need some time to study. So if you're studying, you're like, this is my five-hour block, don't answer anything. Just just do your studying and answer the question after. And try to set boundaries. And so kind of going back to when you're a doctor, when you're 
medical student and someone asks you a question, it's good to set boundaries. You don't want to become your family's primary care doctor, but you also do want to be able to give back and be a resource to people. So going back to, I'm going to, I'm going to deviate. Going back to last week, we had some like commonly asked questions that we had been asked. I'm just going to try and touch real quickly on a couple other ones that we have gotten is like how to help the kids transition from one place to the next. So we moved when we had four, four and under. And so I packed those really flimsy, <laughs> they died within a couple months, but really flimsy water guns. And for and we left early before Eric had to start classes. We had about a week on the island before he had to start classes. So when we got there, we could do fun things as a family. We, we started talking about our new adventure that we're going to take several months in advance. When we got the luggage, we let them play with them. We let them help us pack. They love, they still love wheeling them around the house. Oh, and the luggage? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I waited until the very last minute to buy the kids' clothes to move because I waited until after summer when I could get all the kids' clothes on sale because we were going to go to the island. We needed shorts and tank tops and all that stuff. So we got all these new things that we were going to pack and go on our new adventure. And that was kind of how we helped transition. We kind of did the same thing when we transitioned back home. When we got to, I had sent some things ahead of time to our new house and a fellow student had brought the packages in. And so they had some new toys. So, so clarifying this, this is, we talked a little bit about moving to the island and some of that transition. And then of course, Moving here from the island to Georgia, that yes. was with the packages. Because sending stuff to St. Vincent wasn't particularly easy. No, uh, no. I, I, just, I just wanted to draw that line yes. there just in case anyone was confused. I, I know I might, I might, I'm a little bit slow, so maybe I was a little confused. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but, yeah, I, we, we either brought or ordered something to be at the new location to make it special. We started talking it up about, what, two or three months beforehand that we were going to go to our new home and we were going to go on an adventure and it was going to be new and exciting. And we tried to make it exciting for at least the first week or three days. Granted, the time change for both trips was awful. And it, especially to St. Vincent, mm -hmm. the time change for our kids was rough. I don't think they slept through the night for at least two or three weeks because it was what, how? It was at least four, three to four hour time difference. I think it was Cause, four cause, in cause September. Is on the right? island, it's Atlantic Standard Time, which half of the year is on the same timeline as Eastern Standard. And we came from Pacific Standard Time, so that's three hours difference from Eastern. But half the in half the year, because Atlantic Standard Time does not observe daylight savings, half the year they were four, four hours. And I think we moved, we moved in September. So is that the four hour time? I don't, I don't know. I don't remember. I don't know, but I just remember it being very hard. So give yourself some graces, give your kids some graces, take naps <laughs> if you can. It was a little bit better coming back, and I'm not entirely certain why that was. So I, I guess I'm, I'm slightly changing, uh, yeah, is it, not changing, but transitioning. So we came with a, a newborn that was born in May, and we left in September. So can you talk maybe a little bit about the breastfeeding, pumping, etc. How to right. How to do. So 
With all of my kids, we have tried to breastfeed. <laughs> with my first three, I made it to about six months because I went back to work within, what, six weeks, seven weeks. And so I would pump and, and bottle feed while I was at work. But with the stress of selling our house, packing everything up, and moving. And working. And working. I, I completely went dry. So, and he, <laughs> he, he didn't, he didn't even, he didn't want it. He didn't want the boob. He, he wanted the bottle because that was what he was on. Because when I wasn't working, I was helping do other things. And so he was being bottle fed primarily. I was pumping. Well, but I, I want to, I guess, pause and, and mention also like of all four of our kids, just based off of anatomy, <laughs> hopefully this isn't too personal for you, but you, you use the nipple shield. For, to, for breastfeeding. And if anyone's not familiar, it's basically a piece, piece of, I don't know, like a latex kind of thing that kind of goes over yeah. the nipple and it makes a cone and the baby can like bite into it or, you know, latch on. And, and it gives them a little bit more something to grab onto so that they can latch and get breast milk. And that, I think, played a really good role in having our kids be able to take a bottle. That's like groundbreaking, like how many parents struggle with getting their kids to take a bottle versus all of our kids were used to basically latching on to latex from, from day one, well, well, from day zero. So, <laughs> the reason why I use the nipple shield is because all three of our boys were tongue-tied and had a very hard time latching. And after the first child, waiting a week or more before we got in and had his tongue-tie taken care of, like, I was crying I was, I was in pain every time he ate because I was cracked and bleeding and it was awful. And so after that, I was given a shield <laughs> and I couldn't get my kids to latch otherwise. So at that point, I was just like, we're just, this is what we're doing. It's kind of clumsy in a way. It's, it's not easy. They need to make one that adheres better. But because you kind of have to, you're holding your baby, you're holding the shield on, you're trying to get them latched. It's it's awkward and it's really hard. For me, I, I am a little bit more on the privacy side. I don't, so for me, it was very hard to breastfeed in public because I don't want to flash everybody. So a lot of times I would pump in the car as we were going someplace so that I could just feed a bottle, but I wouldn't be in pain. And, and the benefit also is that I could actually step in. There would maybe times when you were like, I'm done with the baby being on me. Can you take him? Or I've gotten, you know, two hours of sleep. Can you take the kid? And, and I can get up and feed the kid a bottle. Whereas if a kid didn't want a bottle because they didn't like bottles, then it was impossible. You know, I, I would be useless. At least I had a role to play. Yes. I will, I will say that was one big big blessing so and something we learned after the first because after our first like Eric I think it was maybe I don't know maybe it when we were pregnant with our second we had a conversation about our first and me breastfeeding and I would randomly just be like here you hold him because I just I couldn't have somebody physically on me anymore like I had reached my max touch level it was stressing me out. I just couldn't do it, and I, it would always catch Eric off guard, and he'd be, he he wouldn't under when the kid would be like kind of tossed at me. Take him <laughs> well, at least five minutes. <laughs> I just needed somebody to not be attached to me because our, especially our oldest, he did not. He wanted to sleep on me. He wanted like he still to this day he's a cuddler, but I would just get to a point where I was just touched out and I just didn't want anybody to touch me. And so starting with our second, 
it was great to be like, okay, I'm nearing that point where I just can't, I just need five minutes. And would you please heat up a bottle and you can feed the baby and I can go take a shower, clean the toilet, make dinner, whatever. Just, I'll, I'll do something else. I just cannot hold this baby. <laughs> yeah, and, and kind of bringing this, I guess, towards back to St. Vincent and a transition there. And I actually think it ended up being a bit of a blessing as well because you, you did all the work. You, did all, you know, There's a lot of stress going on because you. I, I had like, I don't know, over three, 300 hours of PTO. So I basically stopped working in middle of July and because I had basically all that to cash out and I didn't have to, my, my work was great about that. They let me cash out. I trained my replacement and I was out. And that, that left was enough money for me to be home with the kids, help with my mom's help to help kind of watch them. So I can get the house in the right shape to have it transition to the new owners, to get rid of all of our stuff and do some of the late work that needed to be done. But also I think it was a blessing that you went dry as much as like breastfeeding is um, great on the wallet. It's great on, it's great on a lot of things. And, and of course, uh, as medical people, anyone who goes in OBGYN, anyone goes into that sort of stuff, breastfeeding is preferred it's it's kind of swung from formula only to breastfeeding is the way to go i generally take maybe a and this isn't a medical opinion by any chance but this is you do what you can as a mother like don't drive yourself insane because it doesn't do the baby any good if you're psychotic (laughs) so it's fine if the baby has a bottle of formula with dad well mommy gets some time to herself but but it was a blessing in disguise because it made it so much easier to travel. I didn't have... Like, we, didn't, we didn't have to bring a pump. We didn't have to bring a pump. We... We could just bring little tiny little yeah, ounce the, packets that we can just throw water, you know, warm water in, shake it up, stick it in the kid's mouth, and he was good to go. And then on top of that, it's... Again, we, we keep saying this. It's hot in St. Vincent. And this kid, as soon as we got there, I think he immediately knew... It's hot. I don't like being hot. So I think it would have been an, almost an impossibility for him to be pressed up against your body, breastfeeding, while you're hot, it's hot outside, and he's hot. Like, I think that would have been massively He immediately started taking his bottles with cold water. Yeah, he would always be a hot bottle baby when we were in Washington, and as soon as we got to St. Vincent, it was, uh, I want it cold straight out of the, out of the refrigerator. And I think he, he basically wore a diaper, basically, the first, like, I don't know, six months of, like, being here. He's always in a diaper. Diaper or onesie, yeah. He, he, he did not do well with the heat. So, at the beginning, we only air-conditioned our room, because air-conditioning is per room, and we had to pay for it, and it's expensive. Yeah, there's, there's little units, you know, one unit in each room. They got the room pretty cold, but well, just as a, as a, as a way to, for you to understand, like, I think... Our electric bill was 400 US a month. And that was cooling three two rooms. rooms. Two. two rooms. And then we upped it to the third room when they did the pandemic relief and charged us less for electricity. Oh, yeah, they reduced the rate. Yeah. And we're going to talk about budgets. I know I keep teasing that. We're going to talk about budgets at some point. I will just straight up say $400 a month is a lot of money. And. For, but it was worth it for four kids in that house. Yeah, I, I was going to say, yeah, basically I was going to say a similar thing. Is I was going to school every day, and school was AC'd. I, I was comfortable. I had to have, I get to have my adult conversations. I could do what I needed to do for studying. I even got to sit, stay a little bit after study and play soccer on the 
on the basketball court. Like, I had it pretty good. And if I were to basically turn around and tell Karen, with four kids that she had to watch, one of them basically barely crawling, oh no, you need to stay in the house and be melting hot. And you really can't go anywhere because I'm taking the car with me. And you really can't go outside because it's hot and the tile becomes like a thousand degrees. And there's really no grass because the dogs kind of own the grass. Yeah, just deal with it. Like, I, I don't think that would have been very fair. So the, the least I could do was say, yeah, the AC can be running. Well, Not to mention the mosquitoes and all the other bugs yeah, that she has. Yeah, the mosquitoes. Yeah, we had a, yeah. But on a side note, when we first got to the house... The, the dog had just had puppies, and there was oh 11 my. puppies, and the kids were in heaven. Like little tiny, little tiny little Rottweiler. Tiny. <laughs> oh, puppies. They, they were, were super so cute. cute. Anyways, I really want to get to my second point before we have to end. We're getting close. My second point was dates. Quality time with your spouse. Can, what? Can that be a completely different? Oh, okay. Because we're at 50 minutes. Okay, and... we'll talk about that another time. Anyways... Have a good 4th of July. Don't blow anything. Well, you'll, hear, you'll see this podcast on Wednesday. I hope nobody blew anything off. <laughs> yeah, have a great 4th of July. And we'll see you next week. God bless.